Welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Wordbee. This is your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And your co-host, Robert Rogi. And in today's episode, we want to talk about the game of selling and how language service providers can better sell their services to clients. And for this discussion, we have Anne-Marie Colliander-Lind joining us. Anne-Marie is a consultant and business coach who spent more than 20 years helping multinational organizations solve their language issues. And she's also a very well-known speaker in the language industry. We're really glad to have you on the show, Anne-Marie. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on the show. Cool. So the topic for today is mostly, uh, well, we'll see how things go, but it's mostly going to be about sales. And uh, I think specifically, I think we're mostly talking about language service providers selling their services to end customers for localization. I guess to get started, we'll just jump in with the first one we have here, which is, so you, you spoke about sales being a team effort, and we were wondering if you can like uh, expound upon that. Yeah, so being a team effort, I mean, I think I've been in this game for Maybe too long, but at least for several years. And if you go back maybe 20 or so years, it was pretty much a straightforward game. Translation was translation. It, you didn't really have to explain that much. You can do it. You could have one very good salesperson bringing in all the big accounts. But as the climate and the industry has changed, it requires more and more experts down the line. We have included a lot of technology. We have done process enhancements, we have systems in place, and competition is much harder, especially on an international scale. So today, in most cases, I don't think it's enough to just have one person approaching the customer. I believe that the whole company needs to be customer-centric, and everybody needs to know what is their role in bringing the account to the company. So you think that the whole sales process is not just done by the people in the sales team, but it's rather like a joint effort by yes. everyone. Yes. I mean, if you look at the sales process, first of all, you need to have a process so that you know <laughs> what are the guidelines to follow. But you have a salesperson who is responsible for reaching out to the clients. Yes. But in the course of the sales process, you also need to prove that you're trustworthy, that you can deliver what you have promised, that what you have communicated with the prospect on your website, on in your sales uh, communication, in other means of dialogue with the prospect, you need to be able to make sure that you can deliver accordingly. And to be able to do so, you most likely need to bring a product manager who will be responsible for this account once it has come into your company, maybe you need to bring a software engineer who can explain exactly how will we connect to your TMS system. Maybe you need to bring a linguist to discuss what are the special areas, what topics are we going to translate, what are the areas of expertise, where do you store your terminology, do we need to convert terminology lists into other formats to be able to access them from our translation memory software, and so on and so forth. And the more people you can bring from your organization, the more points of contact you will have, which will make the boundaries stronger between the vendor and their client. So I strongly believe in team efforts. And it's also easier once the project is sold 
to actually deliver because everyone knows already what this is going to be about. So what are some of the challenges of getting these experts involved? Like if you're in sales and you want to get all these other people involved in your in your sales process, is there resistance to that? Is there some challenge there? In some cases, yes, because we all play different roles and we do play those roles because we have different personalities and different sets of skills. And it's not necessarily that we all are extroverts and love to be in front of the client. It might be that we prefer to just sit behind our desks and, I don't know, do coding all day or or translate all day. So what I generally suggest when I come into a situation where I need to coach a client on how to set up the sales processes is to train everyone in the organization in sales, regardless of which position this person is in, train them how to communicate with clients and also how to sell. Yeah, you know, in word be marketing, sometimes I, I've been thinking that we need to train everybody in marketing <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I think the better understanding you have about the different roles and the different responsibilities you have in, in the company, the better it is. And obviously, this differs depending on the size of your organization. If you are a 250 people organization, you're probably set up in a different way than if you're a 15 people organization. But in general, the more you know, the better you can serve your client. And the surprises are few, fewer, or at least the negative surprises will be fewer if everyone is involved. But how do you get those people to understand that, for example, you have a, I don't know, like a developer or someone, I don't know what they could be doing, you know, that it's also that it's important for them to know about the sales part and, you know, that this is something they should or, I don't know, might even need to participate in. I'm a believer in transparency. And I think that the more transparent you can be and show exactly what are the different steps in the process that you are going through when you bring a suspect into a prospect into a potential client and then finally a client, the better it is and the easier it is for these people to see where they fit in to the process. Because a project manager, for instance, they are experts in handling processes. That's what they do. And sales is no different. So too many people think that sales is just magic. It's something that happens, like a car dealer just happened to be super charming and being able to sell the most expensive car to the person who walks into the door. But that's not the case. I mean, sales is a process and this process can be taught. So I think that being transparent and showing exactly these are the 14 or 25 or no matter how many steps we have in the sales process, and these are the different areas of responsibilities, and these are the different areas of expertise that we need to be able to close the deal. And here is where you come in, into this part of the process. And then I think it's easier to understand. And also being very clear on where your responsibility and so let's say you bring a software engineer into the client conversation and suddenly your prospect starts asking, so what will that cost? That will probably freak this person out. So you also have to give that person authority to say, oh, when it comes to cost, that's not me. Then you have to talk to someone else and he or she should be able to point to someone else in the process and say, that's what we're going to discuss in this part of the conversation. 
Mm-hmm. So you know what your responsibilities are, but you also know where you are allowed to throw the ball at someone else to take over. Hmm. You know, like when you started uh, talking at, at first, you mentioned how sales had evolved and uh, and it was more of a becoming a, more of a team thing. Right. And then I, we, you said that things don't happen by magic in the sales department. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the other departments and I can hear the other departments saying the same thing, like uh, developers are like, well, what do you think that this thing just develops itself <laughs> or uh, marketing is like, yeah, I mean, this blog content doesn't make itself either. So maybe in some sense, uh, sales is is after being, I don't know, like you mentioned, the one big salesperson that has all the main accounts, like maybe it's gone from that to being like any other department. I think so. And I think that is, I mean, that's a positive thing for me, Mm -hmm. at least, because the more engaged you are and the closer you are to the client and the the more clear picture you have on what responsibility do I carry in this relationship with the client, I think the better job you will proceed by the end of the day. So what you want to have is engaged staff that come to work happy and wants to do their utmost to please the client or at least to make sure to deliver what they have promised to the client. So this transparency and this way of making sure that everybody understands the processes in your company will work in in favor of the entire business. Do you think that this is something that's always been that way or has it changed over the past years? I mean, today in most sort of more complex sales situation in our industry, in the language industry, it's much more complex than it was 20 years ago. So from that perspective, I do think that we need more and more experts. We need to have a consultative approach because also today, the people that one will buy from you, they are also much more knowledgeable. There are statistics that says that almost if it's 75% or at least 70% of the sales or the buying decision was already made before making first contact because they mm-hmm. have already done the research, they've been to your website, they've read mm-hmm. your marketing material, they've asked around, they asked for references, they've been to conferences, they talked to people, they've been to LinkedIn and followed you on social media. So they already have an opinion. So when they reach out to you or if they are approached by you, they already expect something. And this is where all these points of proof come into the picture that you need to deliver what they already expect you to deliver, if you understand what I mean. So this whole situation of buying silos, that's gone. We are in a global environment. We have access to information as ever before. And um, that's where I think it's sort of more complex than it was 20 years ago, because then you open the yellow pages and you started from A and you started calling and hope to get the price that you expected when you reached a person on the, on the other side of the line. So, yes, I think it's more complex. The product is more integrated. It's not just a, a one-off. You don't send a file and receive another file. It's often included in computer environment, it's connected to documentation systems, websites, etc. So yeah, it's the whole service. What we are selling is much more complex than it was before. Mm-hmm. So with all the the interconnectivity between service providers and customers in localization, 
If you are like competing against, you know, all these other companies, how hard is it and and how would you approach trying to get a new customer who is previously a customer of of a competitor? And is that even something that that can hardly be done anymore? I think you can succeed in approaching a company. I mean, today, let's say, face it, most global companies today already have a provider. Mm-hmm. You very seldom come across a company that says, oh, we need 19 languages and we never translated or localized anything before. We've had no yeah. experience. It happens, but though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not very often. I mean, we have language service providers specialized in working with startups. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different gain because then they can be very consultative and address issues on a very early stage already on the coding stage to say okay you need to code this software to be translatable or localizable if that's the word but let's face it most international companies already have a provider or have had experiences with a provider so i think here you need to ask a lot of questions you need to listen carefully to what this company are looking for and especially what they areas where they might want improvements and areas where they might need supplementary services and this i think is a trend we see with many of the language services providers is that they try to diversify their services offering so that they can be a more wholesale department for any other client. So by addressing a company that you know already have a provider, if you know any weaknesses of that provider, it doesn't have to do with quality or reliability. It might have to do with the set of languages that they can translate or localize into or the number of different services. Do they do subtitling? Can they do voiceover? We have a CEO podcast every week. Can we have that translated or localized into other languages so that you can sell something more that their current provider cannot. How do you think, so let's say you're an LSP, what do you think is the best way then to approach the selling process? Like, you know, when you say most global companies already have a provider, what do you suggest to to LSPs to increase their, their sales? Well, first of all, you have to know who you are selling to. I think this is a common mistake that you're trying to sell too much to too many and too generic. I think you need to do a thorough analysis of your current customer base. Who are your customers? Where are they located? Which business verticals are they in? How big are they? How many languages do they translate into? And also be very self-critical and to see what are good clients. Because sometimes you come to realize that 20% of your client base, they actually don't bring projects that we do a margin of. So maybe you need to dismiss those customers and focus on bringing on new clients, which are more similar to the ones where you have a margin. So, But when you have done that, try to find the similar companies that have a similar buying behavior. Because often what I've seen is that in many cases, Companies of similar buying behavior are easier to target than typically companies who are within the same business vertical. And a classic example of this is that just because your local pizzeria and McDonald's are in the same business vertical, they definitely don't have the same buying behavior. 
a local pizzeria might have the, the same buying behavior as a local lawyer in your own town or a small regional bank, even though they are in totally different business verticals. So buying behavior is, I think, a good way of targeting new potential customers to see my best customers today, what are they buying? How are they buying it? How do they want to buy? Because it's no longer a question of how you want to sell your services. It's about how your clients want to buy them. So you need to have flexibility and adjust your delivery mechanism to work together with the way that they want to buy your services, whether that's on paper or if that it's a full integrated workflow or anything between the two. So how do you think that customers are going to want to buy their services in localization like five years from now? Do you see any trends? Well, yeah, we're all looking at platforms like integrations, connectivity. Everybody talks about connectors today, open APIs and so on. But I still think that this is a fairly traditional industry. So if you say five years from now, I still think that a huge amount of buyers will still buy in a very traditional way. But surely, I mean, we will see with machine translation and everything else, all the other trends in our industry, we will see smaller and smaller chunks, faster and faster turnaround time, and more and more integrated workflow systems, which are, in some sense, it's good for the vendor because you can have a tighter connection, you can have them sort of inbuilt into your system. But on the other hand, this is not something that the customers typically want. So they will ask for the flexibility of choosing their vendors regardless of what the technology is. So I think the delivery mechanism will become more and more streamlined or unified, if you like, which will make it even harder to be different, to differentiate yourself. So how, regarding differentiation, I, I, I don't know, I think it's really interesting right now. I was speaking to someone in the industry a while back, and they told me that like 10 years ago, your average LSP would be talking about their technology or talking about how they were going to, you know, provide these technological solutions or methods to translate your or localize your content or your software or your app. And what he told me is that like now everyone has that. And so now people are selling different things, like they're selling more like consulting or selling, you know, things more on like the content side, like, oh, it's going to be, you know, this kind of translation or special in some other way. So how should LSPs be differentiating themselves right now? Well, if I had the answer to that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'd be rich by now. The challenge we have today, I mean... I think it's fantastic. We are a very sharing and open community. We love to go to conferences. We love to do workshops. We love to discuss and share experiences on best practices. And we learn a lot from each other. And I'm not just talking about consultant to consultant, but you have vendors and buyers and translators uh, all in the same room learning the same things. And when you start talking about, well, you need to differentiate yourself. And here are 10 examples of how you can do that. And all the people in the audience start doing exactly the same 10 thing. So we're here on a podcast. I mean, that was one big differentiator a couple of years ago. So let's start a podcast because no one else is doing that. And I mean, you do have to 
follow sort of the trends. You might have to show up in social media, whether you like it or not. You have to do all these things. But I think by the end of the day, being interested, being engaged, motivated, and present is what is going to be the winning game after that, by the end of the day. That you're responsive, that your client can sleep well at night. That is what will be a winning concept in the long run. Because all these different differentiators that we have access to, how you can market yourself, content marketing, social media marketing, social selling, whatever, what have you. Yeah, we're all doing that. But if you're not there when your client needs you, and if you don't deliver on time with a good enough quality or fit for purpose, then you're not going to win the game after all. I think even though it's much more data-driven, we're talking big data, we have access to all this information, we are still in a bit people business and people buy from people and people tend to buy from people that they like and that they can remember. That's also something that I used to add to that line. So, and of course, I mean, sell everything to everyone. That I think is a concept that is gone. Because that doesn't work anymore. So yes, you need to have a strategy and you need to stick to your strategy. And you know, you have to know your limitations. You know, you have to know your your areas of expertise. And I'm also a believer in collaboration. So instead of letting go of a customer who asks for something that you can't deliver, maybe the better solution is to partner up with someone and keep the customer relationship and work with someone who can deliver that specific service or that language combination that you can't handle yourself. How do you think then small LSPs can compete with the bigger ones or, you know, are they not even competing as they're attracting different customers? Well, I think you need to find your customers where you feel comfortable in finding your customers. I mean, it would be lovely for all of us if we could win the Microsoft account, but To be realistic, we can't, right? So there are so many middle-tiered companies that we can sell to, small to medium, middle-tier. We can sell locally. We can become highly specialized in different areas. As I said before we started the recording, I was listening into one of your episodes with with Joost Tetzke talking about he has a friend who translates only content for horse lovers. I mean, there are like niches where you can target your sales efforts too. But we should also remember that in most clients, you have multiple client opportunities or or selling opportunities. Because localization and translation, it's still not typically a centralized bought service. Because this is something that companies buy from several departments, human resources, finance department, research and development, product department, expert department, and so on and so forth. So even though a big translation company owns a certain account, you might be successful in reaching out to sub-departments of that company, either regional in your country where you're based, or just smaller parts of that big company, or subcontractors to that big account. That's a really good point. I've seen that before with my the company that I used to own. We had a customer that was just like that. Like we had one department of a really big company as our customer. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting uh, way to get a customer, I guess, that we hadn't expected it. So that's a really good tip. 
And also, I think this is where product managers in your organizations are sometimes the best salesperson, or at least they are the one that can identify potential prospects. But simply asking their main point of contact at a certain company to say, are there other departments in your organization that might have similar needs that you do? Would you mind recommending me or refer me to the person who is in charge of, well, in this case, human resources? And get that in-house referral to someone else in the same organization. Because often they don't know that there's a person in the other end of this building buying exactly the same kind of services, but from a totally different vendor. So that's a way that you can work proactively to consolidate the buying decision at your customer's site so that you win more business from the same company. That sounds like a pretty good way of selling without basically without starting from scratch, but building on relationships that are already there. And this is where your product managers, they know your customers best. They yeah. know everything about where they go on vacation, when they go on vacation, what their interests are. Do they drive a car? Do they have uh, kids? And so on and so forth. So help your, customers, your product managers to ask questions that can lead to information that indicates that there might be a need somewhere else in that organization or that they might invest in new products in the future. They're up for an, an acquisition or they are going to enter a new market or information like that that will generate more needs for translation. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Word Be Translator. Wordbee Translator is the translation management system developed by Wordbee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics. And it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for Wordbee, I also used Wordbee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wordbee Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So like talking about selling without basically getting a new client sort of related is I think client retention. So how do you improve client retention? And do you think like there's sort of a way as well for LSPs to upsell current clients? Well, it's known that it's easier to sell more to an existing client than to win a new account. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, where you have to have a very close collaboration with your production environment so that you know of any possible hiccups or challenges that they might have had in the past before you start trying to sell them more. So a transparent CRM system where you can read about possible support issues or other problems that have occurred in the past and also where your product managers can easily 
post little notes like that, that the client said that they might go to into Spain in the next two years. So put that in a note so that you can follow up on that and start a conversation from something that is the interest of your customer. Because a common mistake we do is that we love to talk about ourselves. And we need to remember that the customer loves to talk about themselves as well. And that's much more important for us to listen and to catch the information that indicates the selling or buying behavior from the, from the customer than just talking about ourselves. But then, of course, you also have to, as I said before, this responsiveness and that you deliver what you have promised. And my experience is much more about on time than quality. Right, right. That makes sense. I mean, uh, delivering on time, it provides like an immediate sense of gratification, maybe, (laughs) or something like that. It does. And another thing that I think has changed now is also this whole sales funnel. I mean, the traditional sales funnel where you have a conversion rate of how many leads or prospects do you need to have on top of that funnel to be able to generate one buying client. And when the traditional way of between marketing and sales, and I know you're in marketing, so so Mm -hmm. listen up. The traditional way to see that is that one third of the sales funnel consists of marketing and two thirds of sales. But today that has changed. That has flipped totally. So today we're talking about marketing being responsible for two thirds of the sales process and the sales is only one third. So this is where all the social media and the online marketing, the content marketing and all these other things that we are doing now that we didn't do 10 years ago plays a significant role in the sales process. Right. Yeah, you know, collaboration between sales and marketing, like uh, Tanya and I are in marketing. And uh, so we produce content. The content that we make at WordBe requires the input from technical people, sales people, product people. It's, It's a lot like you described sales, except it's marketing. And yeah, I don't know what I want to ask exactly. It's just uh, sometimes collaboration between sales and marketing, I think, is difficult because the marketing is producing leads, but all different kinds of leads. Like, I think that what is considered a lead or a prospect is kind of changing too, right? Because maybe you produce a piece of content and this content is a webinar or some kind of downloadable ebook. Someone, you know, registers to look at your ebook. And now what are what is sales supposed to do? <laughs> like, are they supposed to write this person and say, hey, do you need something? Or, you know, so it, like we're entering into this like non-traditional territory of like you're getting all of these quote unquote prospects flying through your your system, but they're not qualified. They're not they're not any of those things. They're just in your sphere. They're like orbiting your planet. And how is sales supposed to handle this? And, you know, marketing is like, well, we're doing this. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're putting all these people into the orbit, you know. And uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange time for sales and marketing right now in the world, I think, because it's uh, at least at WordBe, we're still working it out. Well, I think if you are doing a good job in marketing, the customers will actually come to you asking mm-hmm. to buy from you. That's when the marketing department has done a good job. Because if you place enough content, if you talk about the right topics, if you share information that is valuable for this client, 
sooner or later, that will become something on that client's or that company's radar and say, hey, I think this company has something that I need. And they should pick up their phone ultimately and call Wordby and say, hey, I think you're the right vendor for us. That's when marketing has done a terrific job. Feel the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that you say that, and you know, that you mentioned that marketing nowadays is responsible for two thirds because we sort of wanted to ask you if sales is the new marketing, but I think it's more the other way around. Yeah, is marketing the new sales? I think, yeah, I think marketing is the new sales, but I also think that all people, I mean, the entire organization should always be in sales, no matter what they're. Mm. sort of role on paper is they still need to be in sales and see i I think they should all be in marketing (laughs) (laughs) well let's say that it's a combination of the two because this is also the early days of social media and i i've done many many presentations on how to work with social media and sales because it's all about recognizing the names of the brand i don't believe that brand is that important but you need to be people need to associate your name with something that which industry you are in, at least. And it's the same with your personal brands. So if you're a salesperson and you work with social media in the right way, if you use LinkedIn, which is still a fantastic resource and a fantastic sales tool, and you start engaging and you're becoming someone who is knowledgeable, not selling localization services, but engaging in topics and conversations that is of interest to your clients, and you start showing up in their inbox because you made a comment on something that your prospect posted about. Mm-hmm. So this is the way where you become someone they think they already know. And this should then definitely be on a personal note if you're the salesperson, but also link and in harmony with what the brand is standing for. I think so it's tricky. It's tricky to get salespeople to, uh, I think, sometimes to invest in that kind of thing because, you know, that's like a cumulative thing. It's really marketing, you know, at mentioning people, retweeting, you know, just being online, right? And being part of the conversation. And then maybe you get, you know, the salesperson might get a customer out of that, but it might be like 18 months later, right? So sometimes I get the impression sales is like, more like short-term thinking because they're trying to hustle customers in and uh, whereas this approach is more of a long-term thing like I'm going to start now and then 18 months from now is going to be great. This is the industry challenge as a whole when we talk about sales is that we need to be patient. Yes, we might be lucky. We call the right person who happens to have a documentation in front of them or is going to release a new software tomorrow in Germany and they haven't translated one word or localized it in any way. Those are the the rare exceptions to the rule. It's more common that you work your off patiently with marketing, showing up, going to conferences, engaging in webinars, giving presentations, asking the right questions if you are at a conference, approaching these people in a subtle way, invite them to lunch, and maybe 18 months later when they do an RFQ, you're invited to be part of that RFQ. And that's what we had. That's the challenge of the whole industry. It's a long sales process. And this is a mistake often made by smaller translation agencies who might not have had a sales organization before, is that they hire someone to do sales for them and they expect in six months a return on the investment 
or bringing in big clients, they get disappointed because that's not how it works. They fire the person and they hire someone else, give that mm. person, and that you're in this cycle. And after the third attempt, they said, no, sales doesn't work. Right. It's like the shampoo cycle. Like, yeah. like, like rinse, repeat, right? <laughs> exactly. So this is the responsibility and this is, this is the challenge because many of our companies in the language industry, they are run by, I tend to say it's a professional business run by non-professional business people because they are by heart linguists. They come to a country because of whatever reason, they start a translation localization company, they grow that into noticeable size and the, in many cases, the first challenge they have is when to bring in sales. Because managing sales is a totally different thing than managing a localization project or a translation. So this is the responsibility of a sales director at the company to make sure that the salesperson have the tool and that you have the patience to make this person work on a goal and uh, that it, yeah, it will take time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cut it short. It will take time, and you have to do all these efforts to win this win the accounts. There's no shortcut. I really like the approach, and I think it's a challenge that that still, you know, I think people need to adapt and and need to see this difficulty of the sales cycle being so long, and that they have to do all like put in all the effort of connecting and reaching out to people and engaging. And like you said, for example, on social media as well, and just building their network basically without seeing immediate return. And is this like, I know you, I believe you've, you've had a speech about sales without selling. Would you consider Mm -hmm. this part of that? Yes, because uh, you build trust. It's not about trying to persuade someone to buy something from you, but to make that person believe that you can deliver something that that person needs. And I think that's a totally different approach. And this is where the rest of the organization comes into the picture and specifically on that note of selling without selling. And because there are very few people in, let's say, the product managers, they don't identify themselves as salespeople. And if you start trying to push them to sell something, they will most certainly say, "Mm, thank you, but no, thank you. That's not what I do. I'm a product manager. So they need help to develop their listening skills and the ability to ask the right questions so that the companies that they're working with open up and give information that can indicate the need for more services or more languages or whatever it is. And that's how you can impact the sales process by being very engaged. And the engagement is super important. And that comes to all the people that you're proud of what you're doing. You know what it is that you're doing. You know what specific role your task has in the sales process and that you can talk comfortably about that in any situation. And that you also know that apart from this, I don't need to go into details about how to deliver or how much it will cost or what is our quality measurement system made of. I know my part of the business and I can speak comfortably about that. It might be that this prospect bump into 
one of your co-workers in the supermarket or in a language conference or a tech conference. And you still need to breathe the brand and to be professional in your part of the process. Breathe the brand. I like this. <laughs> so here's a here's a question. It's, it's a little bit shifting gears, and it, it might come across as a stupid question, actually. So, you know, I'm in marketing, and I, I know in other industries, there's this, like, whole golf thing, right? Like, or this whining and dining customers thing or taking them out to a concert or a show like is that something from the 80s or is that still the th going on should people be thinking about how to wine and dine their customers or their <laughs> or, or prospects okay i think that's an excellent question there are no stupid questions that's yeah how some, I was some people up. say that <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think we have so many other means of communication today. I mean, in the 80s or, or whenever, I wasn't even born in the 80s, or I was, uh, but I wasn't in business. Uh, I yeah. think you had limited possibilities of meeting these people, the decision makers. There weren't, there, there weren't no internet or social media, or you couldn't browse Google to find information you couldn't read on their linkedin profile what they do uh, what their interests are and so on so yeah maybe it's a little bit in the past but again i think that showing an interest in your customers and that's an interest of your client that they want to meet over lunch let's say or coffee or would be delighted to go to golf tournaments by all means wait let's do that right it's all about how your what your clients want. Do I think that you will win an account just because you invite them to an expensive dinner? No, I don't. Unless it's to close the deal, because you have to do all the important work first, and then the closing might happen over a glass of wine, but the hard work was already done way before that. Sort of on a different note, I guess, but. Well, for that, for, for what you just mentioned, you'd have to be in the same place. Do you think it's important to have sales reps geographically distributed? Or is it possible nowadays? Or do you have any disadvantages if you're just in one place? This is, I think this differs depending on where you are and who you're selling to. There are certain business verticals uh, who are more eager to be buying from locals than in others. So I think for international organizations, often what they do require is that you have production centers and subsidiaries in, in at least a couple of the uh, countries where you have your own entities. Sales reps, yes, it's good. I think local language is something that you should consider especially if moving in, trying to move into Germany, that will be much more successful if you have someone who can speak German. I think in Europe in general, if you want to sell to European companies, I think that they are in general, in comparison to America, more open to on-site visits, that it's important that you actually show up and pay them a visit than it is in the US. So it differs from country to country. I know was I would also say that if you're trying to sell to a company that has a very sort of national vibe, 
I mean, we can have, we, I have a very Swedish example by IKEA. If you want to sell to IKEA, you better show up on their doorstep and you better show them that you make the effort to come to them. So if you have a company with very strong national vibe or national brand, I think it's more important to actually be there where they are. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I think this is probably a pretty good note to wrap up. Robert, do you have any final questions? No, I think it's good. I mean, I, I, thanks for coming on. I, I found our conversation really thought-provoking, and I, I particularly like your line, can deliver something that that person needs, just getting them to understand that you can deliver something they need, regardless of you know the specifics, right? I really like this. And I think just as a little closing note that the more global we become, I mean, this this whole let's meet over the net that it, you're, you're further away from people in the, sen- in, in the literal sense, I think it becomes more and more important that you're actually genuine and that you're doing something that you believe in because even though you are distant, that will come through in every way that you communicate. If it's on a social media post, if it's in a, an email, if it's over the phone, Smile is contagious, and mm-hmm. you can sense that even though you're not present. What I'm trying to say is that you, you need to confirm what is communicated about your brand. Everyone involved in your brand need to confirm that and that you're trustworthy. Cool. So maybe next year we can have you on again and we could talk about technology, like sales technology. Just now, while while we were talking, because Tanya, you're on a Macintosh, but are are you on Microsoft computer, uh, Anne Marie? No, I'm a I'm on a Macintosh. Also, okay. Well, I I'm on Windows, and I just turned on my Cortana the other day, and just while you were talking, right then at the end, it popped up, and because it's connected to my email, and it says from an email that I wrote to Anita, who's the the sales manager and and Tanya, it is now reminding me of this thing I promised for today. (laughs) (laughs) It's super weird. And, uh, and it reminds me that we could do a show about technology and sales, because that that would be a whole other thing. There's all new stuff to work with now, I think. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's all interconnected with marketing. So I like what you said about is the the marketing the new sales or is sales the new marketing? I think this is going to be one department in most companies shortly. Yeah. That's interesting. We just, we just have to come up with a fancy name. <laughs> uh smart marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well slart marketing. I don't know, but uh, let, let, let's work on that because I, I do believe that we need to work closely together, marketing and sales, to be successful in the future. Cool, cool. Definitely. Well, let's wrap this up then. So this was another episode of the International Bus, this time with Anne-Marie. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Yep, you bet. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.